0: In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read the word of our Lord from the epistle. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect church into one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your dear son, Christ our Lord. Give us grace to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God in glory everlasting. Amen. In our culture, we, are, we seem to be fascinated by death. Though we don't like to be around real death, and we like to clean it up when we are around it. Nor do we like to think of our own passing. We seem to be a culture that is obsessed almost with death. It is a taboo subject and has been a taboo subject for, for many generations. You know, when when we find someone that we know is dying, typically we let them die in the hospital. And typically they die in a clean and sanitized room where everything's kind of starch white and all the sheets are nicely pressed and they're surrounded by the professionals and typically uh, we don't like to see death when it actually comes. One of the least popular of all the Christian holidays is Ash Wednesday because we are reminded from dust you, you have come and to dust you shall return. We don't like having ashes impressed upon our forehead because it reminds us of our own mortality but even still we are a culture that is fascinated by death fascinated almost obsessed with this taboo subject and we've interestingly enough we've done the same thing with sexuality it's been something you don't talk about you don't you don't speak of you don't mess with but then it becomes something that is almost like a cult obsession where everybody is 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 um obsessed with it in very unhealthy ways you you can tell in our society and our culture that we have an obsession with darkness we love gory movies we love talking about evil and seeing it depicted in film we We even like sociopathy, which is what really really kind of makes me weird a, a, a movie dealing with like sociopaths kind of drives me uh gives me the shivers a little bit we are obsessed with darkness but we're obsessed also with death we like stories about vampires and zombies and you know we we get fixated on the twilight saga if that's your thing or the walking dead but we see all around us in our neighbors and our friends and and many times in ourselves that there's this very uh Peculiar interests that we have with death and with darkness and with dark themes. You know that last night was Halloween. It was actually the first of three consecutive holidays. Uh, Last night was Halloween, which was originally called All Hallows Eve or Hallow Mass. Today is is All Saints Day, which is uh, also called Hallow Mass uh, or All Hallows Day. And then tomorrow, interestingly enough, is All Souls Day. But in in our culture, we've got debates that that uh that go on in social media and throughout pop culture about is Halloween a good thing or a bad thing? Should your kids participate in in it or not? Is it just an innocent holiday where you know Kids can dress up like things that they are not and have fun, uh, and then you've got others who say, no, 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 it's something that's dark and belongs to the devil, and, and you stay away from it. But then you have some that try to try to redeem it and have a, a trunk or treat, or you know, we're going to dress up like saints and and you know Christianize it. Um, but historically, Halloween and All Saints Day and All Souls Day is actually a uh, a, a a series of holidays that was begun by the church to celebrate those who had gone on before us to celebrate the lives of the saints particularly the lives of the saints who had died in the previous year it was a time when families would reflect upon their loved ones who had passed during that previous year and they would uh maybe light candles in remembrance of them reminding them that that they gave light to to a dark world But this is a a period of the year where we are surrounded by leaves falling off of trees and decaying upon the ground. And we are uh, surrounded with the noise. If you're in my neighborhood, the noise of of cars driving along acorns. And you'd swear they're driving on gravel roads because there are so many acorns that are all over the place. But we're surrounded by these these sounds and, and images that remind us that things that are living do pass away. That which is here today, we are sadly reminded will be gone tomorrow. The question that is is very pertinent to us as people who are mortal, people who will die and a question that we often uh, think about very regularly when we are surrounded by death perhaps when one of our family members is is losing a battle against death or perhaps when when we've been told that we've got something that very well could bring our own death we start wrestling with the question of okay well what happens beyond the grave once once i die then what happens to me i remember serving as a pastor in rural mississippi and um, one of our one of the saints of our church, one of the incredibly faithful older ladies in our church had passed away. And I was at her graveside and I was um, it was the, the, the point of the, the funeral where we were having the committal, where we were about to uh, to um, to say a final goodbye before they lowered the casket into the ground. And I mentioned to the the congregation that was assembled there um, that there's coming a day where they will once again look into her eyes, where they will once again hear her voice, where they will once again be able to hug her neck. And it was a few weeks later, her son asked um, asked me as I was visiting with him, he said, Pastor, you... Said that I'd be able to look into my mom's eyes again. You told me I'd be able to hug her neck again. Will that really happen? And I said, Oh, yes, it will. That's what Easter is about. Easter is not about living forever, Easter is about resurrection. And that is the Christian hope that we have when we approach death is not just that we will live on, not just that we'll live on in the hearts and memories of our loved ones, but that we will one day be raised up. We will be resurrected. And so when we're dealing with the question of what will we be, what will we become, the first answer to that question is that we shall become resurrected. Paul makes it very, very clear in his New Testament writings that the dead in Christ are immediately ushered into the presence of Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He even says uh, in his letter to the Philippians, "I'm, I'm torn between two sides. Part of me wants to live on and to to serve you, to serve the church and to strengthen the body. But then part of me wants to go on to be with Jesus. And so in Paul's theology in the New Testament, it is very clear and very evident and very obvious that the dead in Christ are immediately brought into the presence of the Lord. The scriptures speak of paradise. Paradise. In fact, Jesus told the thief on one side of the cross, Assuredly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. But the Bible makes it also equally clear. Paul, as well as the other New Testament writers, make it very, very equally clear that the separation of our souls from our bodies is not our final destination. Because that's what death is. Death is when the soul leaves the body. What was animating that body is no longer there. It is now gone. But the New Testament is very clear that that is not our ultimate destiny. Our ultimate and final destiny is not that our souls will go and live in heaven forever. Our ultimate destiny, the scriptures say, is that our bodies will be raised and will be glorified. John, the apostle, spoke of a new heaven and a new earth. He said that the old things had passed away and he spoke of one who makes all things new. And he also speaks in his revelation, that last book of the Bible, a book that our culture is so fascinated with. That that heaven and earth will be joined together together. At the end, that there is a new Jerusalem that will come from heaven and will reside on earth. And heaven and earth will be wed together as one. What the gospel offers to us is that those who believe in Christ. Once they have tasted death, they will then know what it is to be undead. Jesus' resurrection shocks the New Testament church. They weren't expecting it. That is very clear in the gospel records. The disciples were not expecting Jesus to resurrect. When he was crucified, when he died, when they buried him, they thought it was over. They thought Jesus was a... Would have been Messiah, but he was killed. And therefore, he couldn't have been the Messiah. But it was Easter Sunday morning that changed everything. Changed their understanding of resurrection. Changed their understanding of what the Messiah would be and do. Rocked their world you know that uh, just a few days ago there was a a uh, an obsession on social media about back to the future because we finally got to that day that uh that marty mcfly traveled and and, and doc had traveled to in the future and of course the world is nothing like what they what they promised us we they, they failed us folks but uh there was this there was this obsession with back to the future and and The amazing thing is that when Jesus resurrects on Easter Sunday morning, it's almost as crazy as someone coming back from the future. Someone coming back from what we shall become. What we're headed toward. Here comes Jesus resurrected His body out of the tomb. The tomb is empty. He tells His disciples to touch Him. He cooks. He eats. He is very, very physical he is very very tangible but he is also glorified what the gospel offers to us is not simply a denial of death as though death doesn't matter what it offers to us is the defeat of death it promises us not that we will be disembodied spirits for eternity, but it promises us resurrected bodies. Bodies that are raised up. It promises us not simply life after death, it promises us resurrection life. Will we be transformed? Yes, we will. Will we be different? Yes, we will. After all, Jesus just shows up into rooms with the disciples and then suddenly vanishes. One moment He's there and the next He seems to have slipped off behind a curtain somewhere. But will we have a physical body? Yes. The New Testament makes that utterly clear. Will we have a tangible body? A body that can eat? A body that can speak? Yes. Yes. It will be our bodies raised up from corruption and glorified. We shall become resurrected. And that future hope says something to us about this current and present life. It says something to us about how we are to live in this present world. It tells us as... um, We'll get back to that in just a second. It tells us that not only shall we become resurrected, but it tells us that we shall become saints. That we are called to be made holy. In the Apostles' Creed, an early, early baptismal creed of the church, When you get to the last, the third and final paragraph, we declare, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Notice that as as the apostles handed down their tradition of faith to the church, one of the things that was of the utmost importance was that there was a communion of saints. That God was making his people holy. And he was bringing them together. Notice it doesn't speak of a collection of saints. As though saintliness is something on an individual level. Like you can be a saint by yourself and apart from any relationships. And this person can be a saint by himself and apart from any relationships and I can live a saintly life apart from any relationships. It speaks of a communion of saints. Saints that are brought into fellowship together that live out that holy life together that live out a life of love in the context of relationships. The scriptures declare to us that we shall become saints, not just in the world that is to come, but that we are called to be saints here in this present world. The apostle Peter in his second New Testament epistle said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through knowing God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowing Him who called us by His own glory and might, by which He has given to us His precious and exceedingly great promises, so that through these you may escape the corruption that is in the world, which is caused by lust, and, here's the kicker, become partakers of the divine nature. That, is high theology that God calls us and gives to us his promises. He says that they are precious and exceedingly great promises that through those promises of God, he is faithful in us uh, enough to make us partakers of the divine nature. And notice, this is not some future and distant hope. He says, he says that He has given us these things that pertain to life and godliness. He's speaking here about this life. Living in these mortal bodies, He's given us promises and opportunities to become like Him. The Apostle John in his first New Testament epistle says little children abide in him so that when Christ appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him when he comes if you know that he is righteous you also know that everyone who practices righteousness here this is practicing righteousness in this life has been born of him what great love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God and indeed we are The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, right now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. Now here he's talking about the future hope of meeting Christ and being, being transformed into his image. But he says everyone who has this future hope in Christ purifies himself just as Christ is pure. The New Testament is very clear that just as one day we are to become resurrected... Even so, now we are called to become saints here in this life. The resurrection of Jesus offers to us not some otherworldly escapism. In fact, we will uh, we'll go back to that quote I said we'd go back to because I don't want to be made a, a liar to you up here. Where is it? There it is. From N.T. Wright. He says, frankly, what we have at the moment, he's talking about in the, in the, the broader church culture, it isn't, as the old liturgies used to say, the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead, but what we have is the vague and fuzzy optimism that somehow things may work out in the end. That's not the Christian gospel. That somehow... Everything will kind of get sorted out in the wash. The gospel offers us the sure and certain hope of resurrection. We will be raised and we will be glorified. And so in the meantime, we are called not to live a life where we feel that one day we'll get past this world and we'll just escape. But we are called to live saintly lives in this very world. We are called to live lives that are transformed so that we might transform culture. So that we might be a part of transforming society. The gospel offers to us a baptism wherein we are brought into God's family. And it offers to us then behavior that fits within that family. What does the world need? It needs more saints. What will save our culture? More saints. What offers hope to the world? More saints. More people who take seriously the invitation of the gospel to come and to be a part of God's people and to live lives of self-giving love where we, where we love God with all of who we are and all that we have within us and where we love our neighbors just as we love ourselves. The world needs, our culture needs, our neighborhoods need, our families need folks who are willing to say, I will put you before me because I love you that much. That's what it means to live like Jesus. That's what it means to be a saint. That's what it means to live a holy life. It's not about trying to seclude ourselves off away from everyone else so that that our holiness won't be contaminated. It is about giving ourselves in complete holiness to others through love. We get kind of weird about that word saints. Here in these parts, you think I'm talking about the New Orleans saints. And oftentimes I am. I'm a fan. It's, it's a, a rough year to be a fan, but I'm a fan. It's been a rough couple of years. But we get weirded out by that word saint. In fact, sometimes we, we get weirded out when we refer to St. Paul or, or St. John. We're thinking, wait a minute, does that sound too 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 odd? But the Scriptures tell us that we are called to be saints, that we've been brought into the communion of saints. And the saints are those who have lived lives that we could emulate, lives where we see this person is not the Messiah, this person is not Jesus, but this person lived a life that was pretty well reflecting the life of Jesus. Last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer and it's appropriate that we consider it again this morning. In the Lord's Prayer we are praying Father may your will be done on earth in this world just as it is done in heaven. That is that is a, a, a prayer that longs for and anticipates the new heaven and new earth. Lord, may your will be done right here and right now in my life and in my family and, and among my friends. May your will be done just like it's done in heaven. Lord, would you wed heaven to earth today? One who one has come back from the future. He bears stars in His hands, in His feet, and in His side. And because He's come back, we see what we shall become. We shall become resurrected. And because of that, Because God will not leave this physical, tangible world to decay and to rot and to finally become complete corruption. We are given the mantle to take up so that we might live in God's kingdom now. So that we might do what measure we are able to bring heaven on earth. To live as though the kingdom has already come. We're called to be saints. We shall become saints. But that requires something of us. I don't mention this every week, but if you look on the back of your communication card, that's the small card that you've been given. If you look on the back of it you see that there's a place for you to respond I intend to pray this I intend to do this I intend to become this I think it would be appropriate for all of us to say I intend to become a saint but then we've got to figure out what's it going to take in my life to become more holy than I was yesterday. Not that holiness is something that we can cause for ourselves, but what's it going to take in my life to get myself in the position where God can clean me up more, can help me to love others more? And then perhaps we ought to pray that God would help us in doing that. In a short while we'll be collecting these communication cards. I want you to, to as as we prepare for the last song, I want you to, to think and prayerfully consider how your response might be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.